0: On this podcast, you will hear a recording of an event we held back in August to celebrate the release of the English Trans... On this podcast, you will hear a recording from an event we held to celebrate the release of Danish literary critic and cultural theorist Mikkel Kraus Fransen's first English book, Going Nowhere Slow, The Aesthetics and Politics of Depression from Zero Books. Joining Fransen for the discussion were the artist and activist Jakob Jakobsen, and Ida Benker from the curatorial collective The Laboratory for Aesthetics and Ecology.
1: Hi! Um,
0: Thanks for so many of you to come from this wonderful uh, freezing cold night to our tiny bookshop, which I'm hoping penguin-like will keep warm for the next uh, hour or so, and I'm delighted and thrilled to be hosting um, the launch of this fantastic collection of literary analysis and cultural theory, um, by Michael Franssen, "Going Nowhere Slow: The Aesthetics of um, the, the Politics and Aesthetics of Depression," um, and we're we'll going to be talking about that for the next hour or so. Um, the book is available in a semi-large quantity for us in the back for the special Black Friday price of 150 krona. <laughs> um, also fits in the depression theme really well, I thought. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's. A wonderful journey into some pieces of artwork and what they can tell us about the depression of our age and how we can be, perhaps make interventions into it. So it's been a bit of pleasure to just dive into this in the last few days, and we're also completely thrilled to have um, Ida Banker from the Laboratory for Aesthetics and Ecology, who's going to give, I, I hope, give this conversation like a the kind of non-human scope that, that we really need in these subjects. Um, and the artist and activist, uh, Jakob Jakobson, who has also, with, with your hospital project, has really delved into the whole notion of um, trying to get mental health outside of the uh, the medical establishment and maybe take some political control over it. Um, so it's really great to have these other perspectives on this work and um, have a conversation. And also I wanted to just hand over to
2: Mikkel to maybe say a few words about the book and um, that's brought us out tonight, so... Thank you, and thank you for coming, and also especially thank you to you, Jakob Anita, for joining me here, and I'm really excited about having this uh, conversation, rather than this book has just been lying there for nine months, really, so I'm a bit alienated from that, <laughs> but, but, but not from this. Um, and yeah, as Megan briefly suggested, the book is an attempt to think about depression and politics, or the psychopathologies of the present and the political economy. Um and in the book, which is pretty much based on my dissertational work on depression and contemporary culture, uh, I uh, yeah, in that book I deal with uh, with four analysis, one might say there's a chapter on uh, the French writer Michel Wilbeck, there's a chapter on the American author David Foster Wallace, there's a chapter on the artist duo called Claire Fontaine which is a kind of ready-made name and also a ready-made kind of artist work that they're doing dealing with depression in a very explicitly political context and then there's a chapter on Michel no Lars von Trier's movie Melancholia from 2011 which I guess many of you have probably seen Um, and I'll try to do it as briefly as possible Um, and I think one of the aims of the book is to offer some kind of politicized version of depression. So in the psychiatric and psychological, but also in the public discourse, we have a lot of um, personalizations of depression, where we treat depression as a personal problem or property even. Um, And there's also this tendency to regard depression and all other kinds of mental illnesses as this personal responsibility of the depressed person. Uh, so if you are depressed, then it's basically your fault alone. Or it's a matter of your biochemist, biochemistry uh, or low levels of serotonin um, or chemical imbalance in the brain. All these explanations, uh, which ca- and all of them is, are sort of devoid of context, but also of any kind of causality or social causation. Which means that in, in the diagnostic manuals, for instance, uh, depression is is solely understood in, in terms of symptoms, right? So you can be you can suffer from a from a lack of sleep, and you can your mood can be negative. There are all these symptoms, but they don't really regard the context of the person suffering. Um, so, what I'm trying to do is to offer some kind of counter image to that particular and very dominant image of depression. Um, so, I would say that instead of personalizing or, in, or individualizing the problem of depression, I'm trying to problematize the individualization of the problem of depression. Um, and to offer just one example, uh, a very concrete example, um, I think it's imperative to look into uh, various um, phenomena, social, political economic phenomena that are in my view uh, related to depression Um, and one of them is is the economic phenomenon of debt and a lot of Economic studies, uh, maybe especially after the economic crisis of 2007 and 8, have looked into the psychopathological consequences of debt, and there's been, there have been a number of studies published that show that people who are in a state of debt or who are forced into spirals of debt are also much more likely to suffer from depression and other kinds of mental illnesses than people who are not in debt. Um, the same goes for poverty, really. Uh, the American Psychological Association uh, has demonstrated that people who are living in poverty are three times as likely uh, to suffer from mental distress than people who are not poor. So I would say that the history of depression uh, is also a history of vulnerability and violence even. Uh, one, might, one might also think of you know, students, not only at the University of Copenhagen, uh, where we find a lot of students who are anxious depressed stressed out <coughs> burned out um, but also of course students in the UK and the US who don't enjoy the benefits of the free educational system that we have in Denmark but and who are you know much more indebted than students in in Denmark for instance and who also you know suffering I would say um, we had this example I think it was last week. Uh, I don't know if you read about it, where a, a, a student in France, in Lyon, tried to kill himself. He set himself on fire uh, because of that, and there was this slogan going around. And, and of course, it's a bit hideous when that becomes a tagline or a hashtag on Twitter. But it was still a very strong message, I would say. And the and the message was: precarity kills. La mm. précarité, uh, I think, it was called in my poor French. Um, Yeah, so we have all these, um, I think, important financial, economic, political matters to discuss when discussing depression. And these discussions are not undertaking um, in the psychiatric public uh, realms. Um, And Claire Fonsen, the artist that I mentioned before, is actually trying to explicitly frame the problem of depression within the... uh, economy of debt that haunts our present. Um, So, and the last thing that I would want to say as a way of introducing this whole conversation is that this kind of analysis that I'm trying to convince you of would also necessitate another kind of notion of cure or therapy, because that's also an, an important question to me. The very practical but maybe also revolutionary question of how do you how do we solve the problem of depression and of course I mean saying that depression is is a po- political problem does not mean that we can just you know abolish <laughs> debt and then everything would be okay as if that would relieve the suffering of depressed people uh, by magic somehow um, but I would still would still say that I think I mean the question that Joanna Hedver asks in her Sick Woman Theory, which you have been mm. publishing in the Danish translation, right? I mean, how do you throw a break through the window of a bank if you mm. can't get out of bed? That question is important, I think. I mean, because it is important to get out of bed. So because, before we can even consider something like a revolution or a political movement, it's also important to, you know, to not be depressed and to not just lie in bed that said lying in bed can of course also <laughs> be a way of resisting the political paradigm of not coming to work of not being a productive citizen of just staying in bed but I don't think that's a long-term collective solution uh, to be honest um, so I would say that could be something that we could discuss tonight um, and also um, it's also a question of care in a political feminist collective sense right and um, and, and here I'm, I'm thinking of your recent project, Jacob, where uh, where care or the cure to depression in the form of a care, political kind of care, could be conceived of as a care beyond neoliberal therapy, for instance, or beyond the uh, predominant paradigm of psychology uh, or psychiatry, and also, of course, beyond the capitalist pursuit of profit uh, within this realm and big pharma and all that mm. um so those kinds of projects pragmatic everyday but also revolutionary or at least political mm. is also something that i would like to yeah discuss with you mm. honestly <laughs> uh, today so i yeah. i think that would that's all uh, in in terms of mm. introduction right yeah. that's
0: great i mean i think it the first jumping off point which is this uh this this question of what is cure, what is therapy, what is care, and I think I would like to direct a question, I guess, to uh, Jakob to start with um, your recent project with the the, uh, the, the hospital for self treatment of these of um, like, you know, mental disorders and, and similar um, conditions. Uh, there's there's been of course radical interventions in in um, psychiatric care before, and I'm wondering why you thought it was important to bring that into a kind of aesthetic realm and like which I think kind of ties into the overall discussion of the night, why make this into an artistic project as well as a activist project? And
3: we can wait maybe <coughs> two seconds. <laughs> yeah. The reason why uh, I founded the, the Hospital for Self-Medication uh, was the fact that I was actually in, in the official hospital mm. and uh, didn't feel that, that they were in a way, helping me in in any other way than through uh, medication, uh, through uh, chemical compounds that they uh, wanted me to eat uh, quite a lot of it. Um, And if I decided not to eat uh, their menu, uh, they would uh, kick me or discharge me from the hospital. So that was like the only treatment they offered me was uh, 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 chemical biochemical treatment and there was no treatment in terms of care. Of course they served us, of, uh, us food and uh, there was like gymnastic or sports once a week but uh, otherwise there was no uh, therapy actually. There was no psychologist uh, employed at the ward and there was uh, no attempt to uh, engage the, the patients in, in anyone, any form of conversation about their conditions. So uh, so what we got was uh, medication uh, and of course peace and quiet, which is uh, or was uh, a part of or like you could say a good part of uh, of, of being in hospital. But when I was there, I somehow started to fantasize about a hospital that actually would take care, I would care. Um, And initially I thought about a place where I could be like shielded in a way uh, myself. Uh, And then I had, I'm a very practical person, so uh, I have, I'm living in the top floor of uh, a a core building here in Nørrebro, and I have actually a little attic space uh, on top of our flat that has only been used for storage uh, so far. So I actually started to uh, imagine that this space could be used for as a hospital um, and a hospital for self-medication. So um, and immediately, initially, I thought about it as a personal space. But of course, because uh, if you can ask where the depression is located, I always say the depression is located in the relations. It's not inside me, it's not my personal property. It's actually a relation to the world that has broken down. So um, so very soon after wanting to find a little hideaway, <coughs> I, in a way, invited the world to uh, join me in the hospital for self-medication. Um, I can maybe carry on telling what we have been doing later on but this is maybe the initial
0: i think it's uh, yeah i think this is a yeah, very key point this notion of depression being located in the relations um, and and mm-hmm. the breaking down of that being something that we as a culture seem very um poorly oriented to attending to as mm-hmm. as as actually a, a space of of political importance or of um or a space of care even and i think that might even be a place where we can then move over to either and mm-hmm. say like you know um if, so from you coming from a more like, from a ecological point of view, but also this um, within a, the context of a curatorial collective, like mm-hmm. um, how do you uh, see the project of refocusing on the rebuilding of relations uh, to both each other, but also the world, and right. the wider sense of each other?
1: Right. Oh, that's a really big question. Yes. <laughs> and I'm going to do my, my best to <laughs> <laughs> full answer. <laughs> I, I feel like I want to start this conversation by saying that I, I don't feel like I have an embodied entry point from which I can talk about depression myself simply because I have not experienced depression. And so I just wanted to start by uh, acknowledging that and, and maybe also just sort of disclose that I speak... I I am speaking about vulnerability, precarity mm. from a slightly different perspective, which is, as you also mentioned, the sort of the ecological or the... Um, something that certainly transgresses the question of depression because i don't i would be sad to sort of say anything about a pathological um condition that i know very little of but having said that we we do in our collective in our curatorial collective try to think through precarity and vulnerability as a Mm, not so much maybe not just as a symptom but as a starting point as a condition Mm -hmm. and as Jakob was also saying I remember you were saying that that we don't have we're not mm, we're not necessarily very good at sort of talking through precarity for example vulnerability it's usually something that we try to hide in our everyday lives in our professional lives Mm -hmm. Um, and so we've been very interested in in thinking through precarity as something that runs through bodies human and non-human um, human bodies and landscapes, so this sort of interrelations and and how um, how we're certainly compromised um, by our relations, but also how they might this uh, intimate and very profound inter interrelationship between bodies, how that might also come to, you know, offer, modes of resistance or solidarity or care. So so really try and dive deep into that entanglement. Um, is something that we have been thinking a lot about in our work and I should say that we do um, curatorial work. So we do exhibitions occasionally and then we also sometimes publish books and I have my colleague Andrea with me. So um, I say we a lot because yeah, it is it's certainly a, collect- a collective effort. Um, yeah, but 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 trying to think through, and also as you were saying, Michael, um, as you were saying that staying in bed can also be a sort of political strategy, and so I think I'm very interested in this question of what happens when we're simply unable to get out of bed, you know, and to s- if there could be a sort of politics of resistance to to if the bed, if the bed or the resting place or the could sort of maybe offer us a side of resistance, different kinds of resistance, which also means um, challenging the idea of the muscular ideal of resistance, the able-body um, resistance. I think that those are all things that we need to really give a serious think through at this point where we're certainly you know, all more or less, as I said before, compromised by this sometimes very toxic interrelation that we are in with uh, the world and its structures Mm. okay Okay. so I think I think
0: from there I think I maybe want to try and open up a little bit more between you guys to ask each other questions but I want to try and like frame it somewhat so that I have some (laughs) moderator credibility and I want to frame it with the two questions that Mikkel uses to open the book to like to frame the question of depression in our time and those questions are um, how are you doing? And what time is it? Has mm. been the kind of central sort of closing down questions of 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 you know the, the oppressive condition. So, uh, Michael, how are you doing?
2: Well, um, I think
0: I'm all right. Okay. Yeah. See, this is the thing closes things down far yeah. too quickly. <laughs> um, but like, so maybe you could say a little more about like what you were, um, what you meant by using these terms. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, well, I. I I mean, there's also, and this goes back to the question of staying in bed and and a lot of issues that we've already addressed, you know, the morality that mm. surrounds depression. Mm. Um, and I think that's implicit in the question of how are you or mm. how's it going? Because it is certainly implied mm. that you're supposed mm. to, say all right say all right Maybe um, we just performed it for you yeah. then, it. not too bad yeah. Yeah. i would say that you yeah. people say in in the uk right we say all right but we say it instead of um, instead of hello yeah we just say walk past someone all right all right and then yeah,
0: just, <laughs> yeah. Like, shit's passing in the night yeah
2: <laughs> but there's this great scene in in um, Edward Lewis' book suicide i don't know if you've read it any of you um where he speak and and he's obviously he's speaking about a it's told mm. in the second person, uh, so it's written mm. to a you, but it's obviously also he's speaking to himself mm. and about himself mm. at the same time. And there's this one scene where he's arriving at a dinner party, right? Mm. Um, and it's just so um, uncomfortable for him to even answer that question mm. at the door, um, asked, you know, in a polite mm. way by the host, you know, how's it going? Mm. And he's like, well, should I answer that honestly? Saying I'm totally depressed. <clears throat> uh, I hate my job. Or my my partner's just left me. Or whatever, I hate my kids. What I mean, there's all kinds of possible negative answers to that mm. question. But you are supposed to answer it in a positive way. Mm. Uh, but, I mean, if you answer it in honest, um, yeah. then that has... Consequences, right? I mean, social, uh, (laughs) (laughs) intimate consequences. Mm. If you are too honest, Mm. Um, so I think. I mean, and I mean that goes also back to to the question of responsibility. I mean, because when you are depressed or when you are precarious or suffering, then it is it is oftentimes the case that you feel morally responsible for your own unhappiness. Um, so capitalism in a way not only makes us feel bad but it makes us feel bad about feeling bad I would say in a slogan like way right I mean and the first one is the causality the second one is the morality Mm. also I mean in the question of how's it going and the second question of what time is It is, of course, some kind of diagnosis of depression saying that we seem to live in an age uh, with no future, I would say, yeah. or where the future horizons or where there really are no alternatives, um, as Margaret Thatcher once said. Um, but then, I mean, depression is, in another sense, a very temporal illness. Mm. I mean... If you have been depressed, any of you, or if you know somebody who has, it's very clear that you experience time in a very different way from people who are not depressed. Um, And that also goes back to the relations that we were talking about, Jacob, because there's this concept uh, within some scientific literature that talks about desynchronization. And I think that's a very useful concept for understanding the temporal illness Mm -hmm. Um, or problem even so when you are depressed it is as if time moves too slowly or the seconds just drag themselves along but the world around you or the people around you they go on as before in a totally different time and in a totally different pace and that relation or that contrast is the kind of desynchronized desynchronization so there's this feeling that you are out of sync um, not only with yourself maybe or your body or your mind is not functioning but there's also always the relations and the desynchronization that they that in her in that relationship I would say I'm, I'm, that's a very long answer to a straightforward question but <laughs> I think it's important yeah no, it's, a, it's a great I don't answer. know if that makes sense mm-hmm. I mean, does, does it make sense?
3: how are you? Say? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I just I was thinking that I might have been out of sync since I was born <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I guess maybe that's also the condition uh, I guess it's also a quite universal uh, condition isn't it? Like mm. to be out of sync mm. like I guess when you get into sync then you are functional and mm. uh, Going to work or doing your studies or mm. looking after your family. Um, so I've actually been thinking quite a lot about this temporal aspect of, of uh, your uh, uh, book, and uh, and of course you don't believe that it will be a tomorrow. Mm. Like yeah, the, the tomorrow has collapsed in a way, mm. uh, and there's there's uh, and now that is pretty horrible. But I guess it's almost like in a situation where there are there there is no tomorrow. It's like there's not even a tomorrow that is a disaster, or uh, that is uh, like uh, the end of the world. Is like the end of the world is right there, like Mm. in here now. So uh, in that way, you can say it's 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 out of time, or it's becoming. like uh, s- s- without any time perspective any uh, diachronosity, mm. or mm. whatever we called it mm. uh, it's it's just like along now um, but i think the, the 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 disaster of the world or like this kind of uh, depressed state of of everything as it is now like with the climate uh, disaster or or, or the, all the kind of exhaustion that is we witnessing of people and nature and and everything. Um, I'm not sure it's the same.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, because I think it has a another, different kind of temporality, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I would say.
0: Yeah, I mean, you I wonder if you like mm-hmm. to pick up on that, like the nature <laughs> of, mm-hmm. like, you know, we are living in a time when perhaps... There is no future, mm-hmm. and perhaps the depression is actually a relatively reasonable response mm-hmm. to that condition. Mm-hmm. And yet, we're also living we are living through um, conditions that make us very aware that our time frames are very particular. I wonder mm-hmm. if there's anything you would could mm-hmm. say to flesh that idea out. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's certainly something that we've been given a lot of thought: how to sort of even go and talk about this sort of ecological emergency or let's call it climate breakdown, Mm. you know, whatever we choose to call it, that we're living in. How do we think about that in terms of future, in terms of rehearsing hope or practicing hopeful? Like Mm. there's so many questions tied to this. And I, I think one thing that has been helpful for me also to think about is to position really and situate this idea of an end time. Because as we of course know, there has been many end times before. And, Many cultures have gone through um, mm. an, an apocalypse, mm. or sort of. It's mm. and it is like a very situated point of view from which we look at the end is going to come because it has, it is already happened and it has already happened. And now I'm not saying that to sort of diminish the problem, um, but it just it it makes me think that we need other ways of thinking about this, that we 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 really urgently need to rehearse different kinds of. Ways of thinking about tomorrow, and mm. I think that this is also where this conversation is really interesting and very difficult. Mm. Also, you know, because I also am very aware that I don't want to sort of instrumentalize depression as mm. a you know way of thinking about climate change, mm. for example. So I think that there are many layers to it, and it's certainly something that mm. we have to be very careful around. Yeah. But I think, I think that there is something there that's very <laughs> important, something. What I'm very interested in is the notion of modest hope. Mm -hmm. So the idea that um, to sort of try and move, and this sounds very banal, but it's actually very difficult to practice, for me at least, Mm. sort of move beyond the idea of one solution, for example, Mm. the sort of solution-oriented, where we all want to fix the climate crisis. Mm. But um, for many reasons, we may not be well, first of all, we may not be able to do that. Mm-hmm. We probably, we're probably not able to do that. And, and, and also, it may not be the idea that there is one solution, that the whole idea that we, mm. um, we sort of need to break down our ways of thinking about this. So I'm interested in, like, what happens if we start to think of worlds that are not perfect, but they're as good as possible, like, mm. as good as they get? Like, this sort of modesty and, 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 and partial hope partial flourishing how do we and i'm, I'm not co- this is not something i'm coming up with i'm really referring to now like a, a whole branch yes. of eco-feminist thinking yeah. that are really trying to say okay well how do we inhabit these um ruins that we're living in already how do we inhabit them as good as possible yeah. so i think the as good as possible is a very interesting yeah. entry point
2: but i think it's also important to. Yeah, i mean stressing that we're not in the same boat or we're not in yes. the same bed or yes. the same couch yeah. or chair we're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i think that's important yeah. but that's i also think important. it's important in terms mm-hmm. of i mean when you're speaking about a modest hope or mm-hmm. partial hope I, th- I think one of the things that i've come to understand as crucial is not to accept pessimism mm-hmm. or cynicism mm-hmm. at as a viable strategy Mm. and that's so close to the state of depression Mm. in a way Um, and there's of course a tendency to romanticize this pessimist kind of thinking right saying there is no solution Mm. and that's a very you know realist point of view Mm. but it's Mm. also a very privileged point of view for sure we find Mm. a lot of uh, (laughs) male (laughs) thinkers you know Mm. um, speaking in those Mm. terms and I think that's not helpful at all. Mm. Whether we're talking about <laughs> depression or climate change or whatever, mm. and then of course that doesn't mean that we should go on thinking about positive psychology or being stupid optimists mm. or subscribing to cruel optimism or, or whatever, but still trying to think about paradoxical mm. forms of hope. Mm. Or mm.
3: yeah, I yeah, think also s- for me, I think the location of hope is like it's it's a strange thing. Um, now with the, my hospital for self-medication actually came, like somehow it appeared to me when I was most ill. I was actually in a very uh, bad state. and But then again, this uh, little glimpse of an idea uh, popped up. So I guess this kind of, in the darkest of times, there might be this kind of suddenly a, a, a door mm-hmm. or a little window that opens. Uh, uh, at least I experienced something like that. And I, if I should be more pragmatic, I would say it's just maybe a very basic uh, survival instinct in me uh, that somehow said, like, fuck, Jakob, if you're not doing anything, like, you are just lost. So so this kind of impulse to do something uh, popped up, even though I was not, like, very uh, able to get out of bed. I could at least uh, imagine me building a hospital uh, on the other side. <laughs> So you also mentioned the relationship between like uh, yeah, depression and hope mm-hmm. in, in, in your in your book, mm-hmm. which I think like you're referring to Kierkegaard. Or, or, mm. or.
1: I think I would like to pick up on that because I'm not saying that there is no hope. No, no this no. is not about practicing pessimism. Mm. It is actually uh-huh. about really. Um, interrogating what is it that we're hoping for, you know, mm-hmm. because hope is also not some innocent, ca- like what worlds mm-hmm. are we hoping to maintain? Mm-hmm. And so it really becomes a question of what is the ideology of the certain kind of hopes mm-hmm. that we are, you know, we are of that we're sort of um, thinking through without, yeah, without, mm-hmm. so maybe analyzing hope better. And, mm-hmm. and, and then also, I think what I was trying to say is that, um, coming to terms with the fact that what, um, one, um, that there is not, that, that, the, that the solution to, you know, for example, let's say climate emergency will not be the same everywhere. It's just like sort of try and, and be better at thinking about partial response and partial responsibilities. Cause I think also the idea of, of solution, um, can very easily become sort of, um, continuation of like a colonial thinking that you know we're gonna come now and now we're gonna you know save the world or whatever mm. it's it's i know i'm just really interested in, in how to make responses more local in a way mm. yeah situate responses and responsibilities
0: mm. yeah, because of the, the, the kind of pure test case that you have in the book for <clears throat> the hope situation is the is in the film melancholia which, um, of course, Mikkel reads as a uh, profoundly uh, hopeful film, um, mm. because of his particular working through of this um, definition from Kierkegaard, and that being that it's in the complete absence of what, the, yeah, the absence of hope is what is the conditions for its possibility. Mm. And I guess, like, for me, that I kind of, what's interesting is that when we're talking like in the cases that Jakob was talking about, where there actually you know is a darkest moment, but then hope could arise, and mm. actually there was a way to make activity out of it, and also, um, you know, within climate uh, activism or um, action even, um, it's, a, it's a plethora of different, um, different activities. Um, but I was wondering, it's kind of absolute case, like, is there, is there actually a political um, possibility there? Like, because if it always comes too late, if hope always arrives in, mm-hmm. the, in the complete no-hope situation, can there be a political resonance from that? Or is that too
2: Nazi a question? I'm not sure. Well, it is a good question, though, mm. um, because we're also dealing with processes of reverse reversibility oh. or irres- 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 irreversibility, yeah. and those processes are as imagined and subjective as they are objective. Right? Mm. So you can feel mm. the um, irreversible process of mm. climate change, or mm. the irreversible uh, condition mm. of being depressed where you, you I mean mm. it seems irreversible mm. right there is no turning point there is no tomorrow there, mm. but I mean it's so difficult to talk about and but I uh, but I think I mean Kierkegaard mm. was, was brought up and he's really good at saying or emphasizing the paradoxical or the absurd quality of hope mm. right mm. where 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 he basically says and I'm gonna and I find a making him more banal here for the purposes of conversation <laughs> but where he is saying mm. though that it's easy enough to walk around in the summer and you've got a nice job and whatever and everything is going great that's no problem at all being optimistic or hopeful mm. but he really is quite adamant that the task mm. and to him is also a task the task mm. of hope only arrives when there is no hope mm. so to speak um Mm. But that hopelessness Mm. or that state of no hope can Mm. also be, it's both an objective process. Mm. I mean, things Mm. are, of course, in a state of total collapse when we're talking about ecology. Mm. But it's also important to make that process reversible, Mm -hmm. to kind of stress the subjective Mm. feelings that there is something to be done. So to me, hope Mm. is also a kind of necessity when talking about Mm. collective Mm. processes. Mm. um, in, in the sense that, you don't do anything if you don't believe that what you're doing may have an effect mm. on the world. Yeah, and I mean, and that's a problem with cynicism and pessimism, yeah. Yeah. because mm. that's just an excuse for not doing nothing, mm. anything. Mm. 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 apart from um, publishing many tomes of <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, of course, there's no easy yeah. solution. I know. Right. I mean, yeah. That, mm. I, I mean, that mm. goes without yeah. saying. Mm. No, I think
0: it's um, before we open up to the audience, I think I want to open acro- up across the panel to ask each other questions for
2: some time because <coughs> I guess you're all wonderfully curious about each other, so it would be great. <laughs> <say>. <laughs> <laughs> well, could I just ask you, Jacob? Um, Jakob, Jacob, whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's? How would you describe the relation between this current project of yours and your earlier work? Uh, the, or, or also your current work on, you know, the camps of Denmark, or, yeah. uh, the asylum camps, uh, where do these connect? And uh, and then I might add that when we're talking about, for instance, Shalesmark or Castle Gold, it, it's also clear that the problem of mental health is a very important one. And there's been reports that mm-hmm. if the children had access to psychiatry mm. probably half of them mm. to get a diagnosis right
3: so yeah. there's also a, but uh, yeah mm. just leave it at that but I think it's, it's in a way always been connected and I've always been in a, you can say a depressed state of mind mm-hmm. in relation to the world it's uh, been going on since I was a teenager so um, so I think resistance on all fronts against uh, fascism or I think it's 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 integrated and I guess the the hope part mm. is not like the, the little adjustment or little the social democracy no. uh, getting a getting a, a, a new uh, a fountain in the square or something like that. It's of course been interested in, in revolution as a mm. as a form uh, not necessarily as, as a social revolution but as a revolutionary practice. And I think, of course, revolution only comes out of critical practice uh, or resistance against the the given conditions. And I think it meets in my unhappiness. Like, I guess now I'm not uh, a philosopher at all, but I know Hegel talks about unhappy consciousness being... The, the driving force of the world and I just identify with that <laughs> like that's the only thing that changes if you are happy, like what do you need to do so unhappy consciousness that's like been my friend all the way through and and uh, I think again I'm not working as an artist that is not uh, using my interior and projecting it into the world I'm always working in, in collaborations and you can say trying to establish relationships that are richer, more uh, uh, complex or uh, also built on a, a certain kind of trust and, uh, and friendship that, uh, that I, I, I think is a stepping stone for changing things. Mm. So um, for example, the Kent show is like combining a friend's work with, um, with, uh, with some work that I've noticed that was done in the 70s in Chile. And uh, it's also just an opening up uh, for having a conversation because this hospital, prison, university archive is also a radio station. So we use the space as a radio station and produce radio that is somehow related to questions around the camp. Um, so I have find it very difficult to separate it. But I'd say like the hospital, which is like on the fourth or fifth floor in my house, and the archive is on the first floor so I'm normally saying the hospital is in the superstructure of the archive <laughs> actually,
1: I actually would like to ask you also something Jakob that I was just thinking about now because I think what was really struck me when I visited your hospital is that it's, um, it's going back to the question of care also because I, I, I find it sometimes difficult care is a very difficult concept for very many reasons it's it's really mm. problematic. I mean, it's very necessary, but it's also very problematic because who are we caring for, what lives and what and what lives? So we're not caring for what kinds of structures are we maintaining, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But another reason why I find care so difficult to work with is because it very easily slips into sort of neoliberal self-care, right? So mm. like, if I were to go, I mean, I kind of I kind of accept the idea that self-care can uh, be a revolutionary act you know, in a world that's sort of trying to exhaust us all. But at the same time, you know, if I were to go to some, uh, like, expensive spa weekend, I wouldn't consider that a very revolutionary act. And, and so, I don't know, it, it just seems like there are many interesting conversations to be had about how care is also privatized. And, sort of, mm. and, and so one thing that really struck me about your hospital was a, was a way of caring for community and caring for conversation in a, in a different way. I don't know
3: if you've thought about if this is something that you've thought about in your yeah, work. Of, uh, yeah, of course. I think it's uh, it's about uh, building social relations mm-hmm. in a way. Uh, also building social relations that are based on other values and yeah, neoliberal uh, 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 ideology. Um, so it's, it's, it's going on in this little attic space and when people come there, I normally make it like a groups coming and visiting, and you were visiting once or I invited you to come, um, you take off your shoes, and you uh, we have like normally a cup of tea before we go up into the attic, and then uh, we have a conversation, normally I tell a little bit about my own relationship with illness, and uh, also with care, or lack of care, and then uh, it actually opens up to this kind of... 50% of people's lives that they never talk about, mm. uh, like their illnesses, I'm, I can't hear on my one uh, one of my ears, for example, or my sister committed suicide, or all the things that even people that I know quite well, I say mm. hello, and not mm. suddenly we sit there and they tell us, tell me or tell everyone there about uh, their lives that I never heard, like mm. parts of their lives that I never heard about. Mm. So. But I see it like a very practical way of building relations, building a language for for that kind of suffering that is a part of, of all people's life. It's like the trauma, all the... Uh, and, and I'm not I'm physising not illness. I think it's very important that mm. it's not becoming your identity. But suffering is part of our life. And I think it's a matter of finding a language that can make it, turn it into... You can say an active potential instead of just being this kind of passive repressed part of your life that you never uh, talk about and can't find language for. Mm. Uh, The care, I think that's the care you could say, Mm. the Danish word omsorg is -hmm. like strange, but of course Mm. in care, there is care can also be control. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's it's Mm -hmm. very much to do with the context. Mm. Uh, I've, I think experienced a lot of care that was basically controlled mm. uh, yeah. so like a, the politics of care as you also mentioned is like very complicated mm. and, and interesting mm. uh, to deal with but I see it in a, this kind of anarchist way that if you build your own relations mm. then there is a level of care that is uh, not being mediated by capitalism mm. mm-hmm. is there anything
0: to
3: we could also open up to but I can ask. Uh, oh yeah, 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 How would you talk about care?
1: Ah, <laughs> oh, that's so difficult. I think I I started thinking about care a few years back when it seemed like um, very. I want to say care, of course, is always urgent. That, to me, it was a revelation to even you know, because in, in my sort of formal education at the university never really come across these questions of care, bodies in need of care, vulnerability, um, and also not in the cultures that we had been, I mean, as a student and now also as a cultural worker, you know, it, it's sort of, those cultures are very much built on... Uh, stamina is that the word yeah. like sort of uh, able bodiedness and being able to just carry on and of course it's also very competitive feels so so trying to slow that down and really think about you know this condition of being in need of care but also providing care and then care as as maintenance work which is of course is a a very like a key feminist concept right but care of course is also something that troubles feminism because women have sort of been assigned care duties so it's, it's certainly something that runs it's a, it's a paradox that runs very deep in feminist thought and so I think that that is very interesting and I, I, see, that, I see that the question of care is taking into ecological conversations now and, um, and I also see a call for like when we were talking about hope the same way to 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 sort of specify what kind of care are we then talking about because it's also a very broad term and it kind of means almost nothing if you say it like that care yeah, I so that. so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, so being better um, practicing um, conversations about care but also careful conversations you know and I think that that was something that really struck me when I visited your hospital was that how even though we were a group of strangers basically that, that did not know each other, how eager we were actually to care for each other's and each other's stories and how eager we were to share. So I thought that that was really interesting. Also, as you say, that like, people will tell you things that, you know, it just very quickly became a very vulnerable space. And and I think that that's very interesting in a professional context because professionality very much often is about keeping certain kind of posture right and a certain kind of so thinking about how we could cultivate careful thinking or collaboration I think is a very interesting and important question also
2: but what you're talking about there is also I, I think that's where the etymological root of the word care also enters the picture, right, Mm. care is cura, as curiosity. And I mean, that conversation Mm. that you're describing is Mm. also a curious conversation, Mm. where you are actually Mm. curious Mm. about the other person, Mm. about others, Mm. that the question Mm. of how is it going, Mm. that's not a curious question, Mm. Mm. even though it pretends to be, right. Mm. And also what is certainly, and I've never thought about this before, what is certainly lacking in the diagnostic or the psychiatric discourse is curiosity, Mm. basically. Mm. I mean, people are not, I mean, Mm. and of course there there are reasons why Mm. the people in these domains are often not curious at all about Mm. your basic condition. Mm. Of course that's a harsh thing to Mm. say, but there is this basic, I would say, lack of curiosity Mm. in terms of understanding the suffering of the other person mm-hmm. and the relations and the context mm-hmm. and all of that right mm-hmm. so that may also be a, a way of mm-hmm. thinking about mm-hmm. yeah I don't know mm-hmm. yeah. I think I'd like to um, lead everyone in a round of applause and thank you mm-hmm. everyone for, <laughs> <the discussion. laughs> um, we're for the next...
0: thanks for listening for more ARC audio content check out arcbooks.dk and why not drop by the store on Mulligan.